0: So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by the, by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. it's not on okay <laughs> so okay <clears throat> it's good to be with you um this is a great passage and as i was working uh on it throughout the week this is the one term that just came to mind like repeatedly um, like freedom freedom and that might surprise you but it's really the thing that like we we long for freedom and so I want to just draw your attention to the text and just uh, make three points. But this is the best way to understand this text. If we, if you look at your Bibles with me just for a moment, the main teaching is actually verse 1. That's actually what this is about. Um, it's not even about philanthropy, and it's actually not even about prayer, interestingly. It's um, about paying attention to your righteousness, and I'll explain what I mean, but you see, so what happens is if you look at verse 1, Jesus is giving the main teaching. He's saying, beware, or the Greek here is like, pay attention, pay attention to practicing your righteousness uh, before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. See, that's the main teaching, and then Jesus illustrates it through good works, you know, that principle, don't perform in other people, and then with prayer. So the main teaching here is actually just paying attention to your source of righteousness, okay, paying attention to that. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. So first is this, like, righteousness, right, as it's said in verse 1, and then the typical way we approach it, and then what's so beautiful and wonderful about the gospel, right? You see, simple flow, like the pursuit of righteousness, how we tend to pursue it, and then how we can pursue it. And so let's begin with that first one. Uh, When Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness, he then defines it in really helpful ways. Like, look at this text with me one more time. Like, there's a definition just in the text that we just read. So what does righteousness actually mean? And you, you notice in verse one it says to be seen by them. That's actually really powerful imagery. In other words, not to be invisible, but to be seen. And not only that, then when you look at verse two, look towards the end of verse two, where Jesus says, not only that they might be seen, but that they may be praised by others. Okay, so the image here is like powerful. It's like you're seen. In it, um, you're seen, you're not uh, invisible, but not only are you seen, but you are celebrated, right? And then again, if you look at <clears throat> verse 5, uh, Jesus repeats this uh, language again, that they may be seen by others. So, what does righteousness mean? And, you know, I've preached there uh, way too many times for your taste, and so with your move, it's over, hallelujah, <laughs> okay? <laughs> but And so I was thinking, um, I probably shared this illustration, but I haven't actually seen America's Got Talent for a long time now because um, I've been busy. Like, this has been an incredibly busy season, but this past week, I was just doing data entry. I had to input some stuff. So in the background, I typed in, best America's Got Ta- uh, Talent or British Got Talent uh, auditions, right? And... Um, and this is always a little embarrassing, because I'm doing this work in the seminary. I keep my door open. Some of these auditions are so moving. Oh, I love music. And, like, as I'm pinning in this data entry, like, tears are rolling down. <laughs> and my colleagues walk in, they're like, oh, Dr. John, you okay? I'm like, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm having a moment. But <clears throat> there's this one uh, audition I, I, was, I saw. It, it was with this... Uh, was with this young woman. She actually has a speaking impediment. It was, it was very touching because the judges would ask her, "Hey, what's your name? Where are you from?" And immediately you could tell she couldn't quite answer. And but she discovered isn't that amazing that she doesn't have a speaking impediment when it comes to singing. And um, and so she had written this song, narrating her experience because. Um, you know, other kids had made fun of her, uh, and so she wanted to become invisible. She wanted to disappear, right? But then music, in one sense, liberated her. And you know the way America has got talent, the way they the way they produce this. Oh, just, you have to be a stoic not to like, tear up. So anyway, she performs this amazing song. It's uh, obviously contrasted with her, like, uh, speaking impediment. And then the crowd's uh they they don't just cheer they stand they're like whistling they're shouting um cheering her on and one of the judges looks straight at her and says i just want you to know we see you we see you and we love you we love you and everyone's shouting she's crying i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> so i'm having a moment but you see, I was, I was thinking about that because as I was working on this passage this week, that's what the Bible means by justification, by righteousness. You see, and when we see a show like America's Got Talent, this is what, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter if you're not, it doesn't matter like if you try to have a tough exterior. One of the things that is so wonderful about the Bible is that it, it acknowledges you and I want to, we do want to be seen. Not only do we want to be seen, we want that thumbs up. We want that praise. And it's just part of like who we are as people. There's this excellent book. It's entitled um, Biblical Critical Theory. It's uh, written by Christopher Watkins. It's not bedtime reading, but it's phenomenal. And he he makes this fascinating observation about contemporary culture. He says, see, contemporary culture... Like, it's not as honest as the Bible. So he gives a sequence. And I think this might be very familiar to uh, to many of you. So this is what culture says. It says, you, you are free. You are free. And so don't care about what anyone else says. You know, this is the anthem of our society. So don't care, right? Especially don't care about what tradition says, anything that limits your freedom. But he said, isn't this interesting? So we're like, yes, yes. You know what? I'm tired of being in bondage to what other people say and think, you know? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just do whatever I want, and w- whether it means changing my gender, changing my job, changing my faith, right? And I don't care what anyone says. And right after I do this, I'm going to post it on Instagram and make sure I get 10,000 likes. And it's like, well, oh, that's interesting, you see? Because our culture wants you to believe that you can be free from justification, and that the only justification that matters is your self-justification, what you think. The Bible is actually much more honest about that. The Bible is like, no, you can't. You can't ever escape the fact that what you want is you really do want to be seen, right? And we see that particularly in social media. We have this desire to be seen and to be liked and to be praised. And, you know, before we move on, I hope that this would, in a lot of ways, liberate you. Like, the desire for justification, it's not a sign of weakness. It's just who we are as people, right? And the Bible is just saying it's okay. You just want to be honest about that. You don't have to pretend like you don't care, right? And then you don't have to think, actually, there's something weird that I do care. It, from beginning to end, The Bible talks about this thing called righteousness, but all it really means is to be seen and to be praised and to be celebrated. So that's number one. So number two, then, given that we've established this is a universal desire, what do we do then to achieve it? And we're still sitting on verse one, right? The operative term, actually, in verse one is this preposition, believe it or not. Uh, In the Greek, it's uh, and, and here it's translated as before. And so the way we seek this um, justification and righteousness is, in other words, we live before the audience of this world. In other words, we become performers. We do. And that's actually very helpful. So when you look at what's going on with this uh, two examples, right, what, what's happening when someone comes and uh, announces, hey, I just, um, with my annual bonus of 100000 I just want you to know that, you know, I gave it to the Lord, right? I gave 50% to the Lord. Or, you know, in this prayer, what are we doing when we are, like, praying, like, these majestic prayers in synagogues and in front of other people? We are performing. We are performing because what we want is the approval and recognition of other people so like how do we seek this justification we do it by performance right you know i was thinking about this this is so embarrassing but it's okay you're never going to see me again so i might as well share this story with you um you know like talking about performative prayer there was um this instance i was invited to uh pray at this dinner and you know typically when i pray it's actually pretty straightforward like Father in heaven, you know, thank you for Jesus, thank you for your spirit, thank you for grace and so forth. But present at this dinner was my mentor, my mentor and someone I look up to so much. You may have heard his name. Um, the fourth person of the trinity, Dr. Kim Keller, Kim <laughs> Keller okay? So he's a well-known figure in the evangelical world and I was told, "Oh, actually your mentor is going to be there. And I was like, "Oh." And um he was not only there, was asked to pray here, and he was just sitting right there. And he has a way of looking at you. And so, in my head, I was thinking, I got this. <laughs> and I prayed the weirdest prayer ever, right? I said, Almighty Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, Alpha Omega before and forevermore, <laughs> right? I, and then, you know, the prayer... It just started to spiral because I realized I was not saying anything the entire time. Like, thank you for your covenantal faithfulness throughout redemptive history to, you You know, like anyway. And then it got so bad. Halfway through, I just had to stop. I said, in Jesus' name, amen. And I just sat down. And one of my good peers who was sitting next to me, he's like, yo, that was the best prayer I've ever (laughs) heard in my life. And I thought about that instance because what was I doing there? If you if had to dissect that for a moment, I was performing. But I wasn't just performing. I was performing before an individual whom, you know, I look up to very much in hope that by performing well, he would see me, and he definitely saw me. Like, who could forget that kind of prayer? <laughs> and who could give his approval? You see, friends, right? <clears throat> this is how we go about seeking our righteousness, we are performing, right? And again, I want to just highlight something that Christopher Walken says that I hope will be very helpful to you. He says this, have you ever considered the following? This is a fascinating analysis, right? The way we perform today inevitably leads to anxiety and slavery. This is very, very insightful. Again, he says, you see, in our culture today, this is the paradigm out of which we um, operate. Right? And so it begins in this way. This is the name of the game. In our society today, we are told, make a name for yourself. And the way this is expressed typically is this. You can become whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. That's like, that's just the air we breathe. And to be honest, maybe we ourselves as professing Christians have said this. right? So Christopher Walken says, this is a really interesting idea. You can become whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. But there are like at least two problems here. And the one is this, no one actually really believes that. So imagine you say to your child, hey, son, you can become whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. And he goes, well, I've been playing a lot of video games and I really want to become a hitman. And you're like, no, 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 no. Actually, you can't become whatever you want, right? He goes, all right, all right. Well... I'm going to go into banking and engage in predatory loans. You're like, ah, wait, actually, no, no. Actually, that's, so you see, this is the thing. As much as we like to say you can become whatever you want, in reality, no one actually believes this. But then Christopher Watkins, he, he takes this one step further and he says something that's really interesting. He said, this performance model always leads to anxiety and slavery for, like, for this reason. Number one, he says, think about that with me for a moment you have to choose your destiny. Does that make sense? When we say you become whatever you want, the choice is yours. Do you remember years ago? It's like having to choose a major. If you're honest, you remember like you had some anxiety about, oh, oh, I have to choose the right major. So that's step one. Then Christopher Walken says this is step two. What happens is once you choose a path, then you have to execute well. Okay, so like, okay, fine. I'm going to make a name for myself, so... I'm going to go into finance. But not only am I going to, I'm not just going to go into finance, I need to perform really well. I have to get good grades, and I have to get a good internship, and so forth. And then even after you have achieved all of that, he says, you see, that's not enough. Because once we have achieved, right, so let's say you get that job, what's the next thing we typically have to do? We have to show that accomplishment through social media, hoping that people will like it. And he said, if you take a step back, why are you surprised that this model of performing before other peoples doesn't lead to anxiety? It absolutely has to lead to anxiety, and it has to lead to a kind of addiction, because you see, everything rests on you, and that's why it's very anxious, and not only does everything rest on you, even if you do your best, in the end, you're not sure if people are going to give their thumbs up, because our society is very whimsical. And that's why this mode, right, makes us as people so anxious. There's this other writer. His name is Alan Noble. He's written this excellent book. It's really worth reading. It's entitled You Are Not Your Own, right? And he says the following. He says, have you ever wondered this? And I thought that this would be really encouraging to, like, Arlingtonians and so forth. He said, because of this model, only now, here, in in this area, in this time in history, do these questions, two questions now have a kind of significance that they never had before? And these are the two questions. What should I do with my life professionally, and whom should I marry? And he says, if you actually take a step back, like you and I, we feel like these two questions are so, so, so important. Like, oh, my, what am I going to do with my life? Or what do you do with your life? And uh, was she the one? Is he the one? And he makes a really interesting point. He said, the reason why these questions make us super nervous and super anxious is because of this belief you can become whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, which means it's all on you. You better make the right decision. And I was thinking about that. I was like, yeah, even some of you right now, don't you feel like, have you ever considered why those questions weigh on you so deeply? Is it just like, has that always been the case throughout history, throughout all the world? Or is it because there might be something faulty in this model of performing before other people? See, and this is why we can be actually very thoughtful. You know, one of the things of being a pastor is people come and they share everything with you. And I'll tell you something that a lot of people have said to me, especially in their 40s, sometimes in their mid-30s, but definitely in their 50s. They'll say, you know what? This is hard for me to admit, but I don't think I chose the right job. I don't think I chose the right major, and uh, I don't think they like my counsel, but I, I typically say, yeah, so what? And they're like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, uh, I don't think I, uh, I think I could have, and I should have done something else. I'm like, maybe. They're like, that's all, you're not really being helpful here, right? But what I'm trying to get at with them is like, so let's say you did choose the wrong job. Like, Why does that matter so much? See, that's what Alan Noble is getting at. Like, why does that have so much weight? And because in our culture, performing before other people and performing before yourself, that's where all the weight is. He goes, like, because I made a mistake. I made a mistake. Yeah, join the club, right? And that's why what I want to make here, I think what Jesus is saying here is really insightful. He's saying this, if I can bring it all together. We all want to be recognized. We all want that thumbs up. But so long as you are performing in front of other people, even in good works, even in prayer, you're always going to be anxious. And you're always going to be enslaved to the approval of a whimsical people. And what Jesus is saying, which is so beautiful, is that's why he's inviting us to freedom. He's saying, you have this choice, right? either you're going to perform before other people, including yourself, and he's saying that that is bankrupt. That's why this whole idea of, like, you become whatever you want. You do whatever you want. You are a captain of your soul, right? Jesus is saying, if you do that, yeah, that sounds wonderful until you actually think about it. That is really, really anxiety-producing. Yeah, like my second son, he cracks me up all the time. He said, like, he's really young, only in elementary, and I guess they were all in a circle in school. They each had to, like, share what they want to become. And as he's listening, he's like, Dad, I I didn't know. I was like, what'd you say? I said, oh, I don't know. I said, like, food critic. I was like, food critic. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's cool. <laughs> like, but he's like, I felt all this pressure. And, and like, I was like, why? I was like, I don't care if you become food critic, right? You become mechanic. I don't care. Like, that's not your identity. But even at a young age, he's feeling that anxiety and what jesus is saying here is that so long as you like imbibe that and live according to that you're always going to be anxious and you're always going to be enslaved to the opinions of others so then number three what choice do we have then and jesus again he says beware of practicing your righteousness in other words performing before other people And then he says, there's actually a much better option. And he says, you can choose to perform before people, or in the end, you can make this really great decision and decide to to perform in the presence of God. See, this is the key decision, whether you are going to perform for people or you're going to perform before God the Father. And just give me about two minutes just to unwrap, like, how this leads to freedom. This is the great thing. This is the great thing about performing before the Father. <laughs> You're going to stink. You see? He sees your performance, and he knows, right? It's, it's laughable. It is. And what do I mean by that? Try this. Uh, I, I'm, like, not exaggerating this. Try this just for, like, not even one day. That's far too ambitious. Try this for about one to five hours. You know you've been working through the Sermon on the Mount? For about, like, just five to six hours, try living out the Sermon on the Mount. Like, really, really, really try, right? And this is the thing. The more you try to live before God according to his standards... You know what? You realize, oh man, I cannot. I cannot. Like, there's something about the way we are so fallen and so broken that when we try to live before the audience, one God sees and God knows. You see, and you're like, well, okay. (laughs) Like, I don't know how that's good news, right? But you know why that's amazing news? amazing news is this. You see, he God, he sees us try to perform, and it's laughable. It's absolutely laughable. But God, in his grace, has sent his son, Jesus. And so, if we trust in Jesus, as, you know, we've already rehearsed, right? He sees our, honestly, our pathetic performance, and yet by faith, he clothes us in Jesus' righteousness. And so he sees us for our sin, but he also sees us for our perfection. He sees us in terms of our sinful state, but he sees us now as our renewed and righteous state, which we have in Jesus, right? And this is the kind of freedom that uh, like happens because think about this with me for a moment. This is one of those powerful, like I I hope every person in this room has at least one person like this. But if you do, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right now, if you could do a thought experiment with me, think about that one person that really knows you. You don't even have to perform for that person. That person knows you. But not only knows you, but loves you like regardless. Regardless. What happens in that kind of relationship? In that kind of relationship, right, you actually stop performing because you know that you are already loved and accepted. You see? It is one of the most liberating things possible, right? Um, <laughs> I was talking to you about my second son. So um, we never taught them instruments because we recognized from very early on. It was bad investment. And, uh, but he's learning um, violin in uh, public school. And... Uh, He's bad. <laughs> like he and like he, he does this thing where before his concert, he's always saying, Hey dad, mom, <clears throat> hey dad mom, he's always like, Can I play this song before you? And my wife and I, you know, we're trying to be good parents, very supportive. We're like we look at each other, we're like, you have to keep it together. Okay. <laughs> Do not laugh. Do not laugh. You <laughs> and so we're like, Of course, son, go ahead. And he starts playing. And the first time he did this, we could not stop laughing because he was horrendous. And then he stopped. He goes, oh, what's so funny. What am I missing? <laughs> we're like, um, mm, oh, no, 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 Jordan, we just, w- mom and dad, we were thinking about something funny, right? And then as he continues to play, you know, on the one hand, we're able to t- say to him, son, he goes, what would you think? We're like, oh, it was good. It was good, Right. And, you know, I guess you could call it white light, but we said, you know what? But more than anything, we want you to know this. Whether you're great or whether you're not so great, Mom and Dad, we love you. We, we are for you no matter what. And so you go to that concert, and you do you. <laughs> and you know what's so great? He picks up his violin, and you look at his face, and he looks like he can conquer the world. know why he deep down it's not because he thinks i'm really great at this and this is why i can conquer the world it's more like hey i might not be that great but whether i'm great i know that my parents love me and they are for me what is like so amazing about the gospel is that when you actually live before god you know that you fall woefully short You know that you are a sinner and that your only hope is his grace. And at the same time, God has actually given that grace to us in Jesus Christ. That righteousness that we are looking for, the gospel says you don't have to earn. He gives it to you already in Jesus. And why does all of this make any difference in the world? Because now when it comes to giving, as Jesus talks about here, when it comes to praying for other people, because you're not performance-driven, but rather because you are driven by the fact that God has already accepted and loved you, then you last long, and then you endure. And this is why I want to invite you as we close, right? Jesus knows us so well. He knows that you want to be seen, and you want to be you know, praised. And he says to you, I have already given that to you through my righteousness and by faith. You already have that. And because you have that, you're actually now free to do good, to pray, because you don't need the provable, approval of others. Our Father in heaven, the only eyes, who's actually, eyes that actually matter, he already looks upon you. He sees you, and he approves of you because of what I have done. So go be free. Go be fruitful for the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. <coughs> God, we thank you for this good news. This good news that allows us to be honest—that what every person wants, every person wants this—is we want to be seen, and not only do we want to be seen, we want to be praised. This is the human inescapable condition. But God, we also want to confess to you that all of us we approach it the wrong way. We honestly are trying to be perform before people, including ourselves, and. You have said to us that is bankrupt. So long as we continue that modality, we will always be anxious. We will always be dependent on the whimsical approval of others. But thank you that the gospel says that in Jesus, in you, we are already seen and we are already recognized. We are counted righteous because of what you have done. I pray that we would therefore learn to live out all of life, not in order to be praised, but to know that we are already praised because of you. Thank you for this good news of the gospel. It's in your uh, name we pray. Amen.